I want to pause in just a moment. Where, Katie, where'd you go? Where, where'd she go? There, there you are. Katie, you have led so well today. Is this your first time leading the congregation? Well, thank you. Philip is with our United Praise team. They're on choir tour, leaving. They left this morning to Washington, D.C., and Katie is leading worship today on his behalf, and you have done so very well. Thank you. And then Ashley Huffman is over here on the grand piano with her helper, Cooper, and also thank you for leading us. And might I always say a thanks to Dennis, our organist. We always appreciate you as well. So I've covered the three areas of music today, and we are so grateful that people are here to lead us in this way. I invite you to turn in your Bibles as I read our text for this morning. It's from Luke's Gospel, chapter 10. I'll be reading verses 38 through 42. This is a familiar story to many of you if you've been in church even for a little while, the story of Jesus who comes to the home of Mary or Martha and Mary. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to Jesus and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work all by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what's better, and it will not be taken away from her. The word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. And the people said, Amen. On July 20th, 2019, which was yesterday, it marked the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 11 lunar mission, which landed human beings on the surface of the moon for very first time. This fulfilled the vision of President John F. Kennedy, who said in a speech on May 25, 1961, I quote, I believe that this nation should commit itself to achieving the goal before this decade is out of landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to the earth. At 4.18 p.m. on July 20th, 1969, people around the world heard these words, the eagle has landed. The lunar lander which held astronauts Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin had touched down on the dusty surface of the moon. Later, we would hear Neil Armstrong say, that's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. 
But there was a third astronaut on that mission that day who did not step foot on the surface of the moon at all. While Aldrin and Armstrong spent some 21 hours on the lunar surface, astronaut Michael Collins orbited the moon in the Apollo command module. Soon, the eagle would take off from the moon's surface and dock with the command module, and the three astronauts would safely return to the Earth, splashing down in the Pacific Ocean on July the 24th, 1969. After the mission, many people made the assumption that Michael Collins was a third wheel, that somehow he wasn't as good of an astronaut as the other two, perhaps because he wasn't given the opportunity or allowed to walk the moon, or perhaps that he was slighted in some way. Commentators at the time said that he was perhaps the loneliest person on earth, perhaps since Adam. No one had ever been so profoundly alone, having to spend so much time by himself, especially on the far side of the moon with no light, no view of earth, and no radio communications with Houston. When interviewed recently on NPR, now 88 years of age, Michael Collins commented that people made a lot of assumptions back then and still make them today. While he would have loved to have walked the moon, he also loved what he got to do. He just couldn't do both. People say, weren't you lonely? And he grows tired of hearing that, but he says, not in any way, shape, or form. He says, I mean loneliness. Some people are loneliest, lonely for a lifetime or a month or a year. I mean, for eight days to and from? I don't think loneliness really comes into the equation except that it seemed to in the minds of the press at the time. Michael Collins was not lonely because he knew that he was something, he was part of something far greater than what the news media could see, far greater than something that he could ever have dreamed or imagined. And he says if he could do it all over again, that he would not change a thing. He just wishes that other people had the opportunity to see what he saw and to experience what he experienced on those orbits around the moon. Often, people have made assumptions about him that just weren't true. Often, you and I, and I include myself, we make assumptions about others and don't take time to learn their story. How often have you been misunderstood? How often have people put a label on you, on me? How often do we look at someone else and judge them like we judge a book by its cover and don't get to know them and make assumptions? This happens all too often in our world today. And over the last several years, I have grown weary of people in particular in our country, and in politics, making judgments based upon where somebody comes from, what language they speak, or what they look like. That's not 
what we believe as Christians, and we step above that. We often make assumptions about the Scriptures, don't we? And I say we. Often our understanding of a passage of Scripture is colored from something we heard somebody say in the past, and we assumed or took that as gospel truth. Well, that pastor that I grew up with said it this way, and that was the way to believe that Scripture. And so I take that as gospel truth, and I'm not going to go any deeper because I, that's what I believe. And, I, and I'm convinced that we are to listen to what other people say, but, but also to dig into the text, read it for ourselves, and pray that God would help us to understand it and apply it to our lives. This passage that I've just read and that Miss Amanda spoke about in the children's message has often been given a superficial treatment, a traditional reading, and we make assumptions that that might be the only way that we could interpret it. I want to suggest today that there are some other ways that perhaps this Scripture can be understood and applied. We must be careful about superimposing our cultural and social practices, societal, I should say, practices over the Scriptures and hence make false assumptions. This story of Jesus in the home of Martha and Mary, for example, can be told from a perspective that Martha was just an anxious host, a perfectionist that had everything from pampered chef and Pinterest and everything was just perfect and was all worried that it wouldn't turn out right and, and needed Jesus to get her sister out of the other room to get back into the kitchen where she belonged so that the rest of the meal would go just as it should have been. And I don't know that that's the reading that Luke is trying to convey to us. There is Martha, who is named first in the story, and it says that she opened her home to Jesus. So uh, we don't know all of the family history. We know Lazarus is the brother of Martha and Mary, so there are three siblings living in the home. We know later on in the Gospels, especially the Gospel of John, we see the death of Lazarus and that part of the story playing out where Jesus was called to bring Lazarus back and he got there too late, but Jesus healed and brought him back to life. And that's where we get the passage, I am the resurrection and the life from, from Jesus. But in this story, we don't see Lazarus, it's just Martha and Mary. Martha is in the kitchen doing the preparation for the meal, which would have been a, a traditional role for her at the time. But her sister Mary was in the other room at the feet of Jesus, taking the form of a disciple. And back in that time, it was not appropriate or allowed for a female to sit at the feet of a rabbi, but that's what she was doing. And Martha went into that room where only the men would have been, and she then told Jesus that she needed him to have her sister come back. And a traditional reading would say that Martha was the overly worried person and that Mary 
was sitting at the feet of Jesus and perhaps should have gone back to help her sister, but she was doing the most important thing, sitting at the feet of Jesus. And there is truth there. Don't misunderstand me. But can't there be more? And I believe there is. Let's put our preconceptions and assumptions aside to seek to understand perhaps more of what Luke is trying to reveal to us in this story. And it might help us, I believe, better understand and appreciate other people for who they are and what they bring to the table. Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus. She was... She took the form of a disciple. She was learning at the feet of the rabbi. And Martha came in and said, Jesus, you tell her to come back into the kitchen with me. And Jesus, he said, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and will not be taken away from her. And so I I see that Jesus, he understood how they were wired up. He understood the family. He had a relationship with them. This wasn't the first time that he had been in their presence. This is toward the end of the ministry of Jesus. A uh, A few months perhaps before he was to go to the cross. He was on his way to Jerusalem at this part of the Gospel of Luke. He knew how Mary was wired up. He knew that she desired to learn more. And he allowed her openly to sit at his feet as a disciple, as a learner, and did not tell her to leave. He didn't tell her to go into the other room where a woman should have been. He understood her need. He valued her as a person, as a learner. And he also understood Martha and how she was wired up. That she did tend to get overly anxious about the details. And I think that's why at the end of the passage, he told Martha that what Mary was doing was the most important thing. That at the end of the day, in the midst of our serving and in our doing and our hospitality, our welcoming of guests, all of that is part of the bigger picture of following Jesus as His disciples. They are both important. Jesus did not devalue the hospitality Martha offered. Jesus did not devalue the discipleship that Mary sought. And I would argue that both were disciples that both at some point or another had sat at the feet of Jesus. He knew the family very well. What I see happening here, if you're taking notes and want to jot a few things down that could help, is Jesus' style of understanding others. Jesus' style of building relationships with people. Being present among people. Getting to know people before we make assumptions and put them in a certain place. Jesus had proximity. In his book, A Riff of Love, Greg Jarrell 
uh, tells us how important proximity is. If you have been around our church a while, you know that we are partners in ministry with Greg and Helms, Gerald, who are the leaders of the ministry called QC Family Tree in Charlotte, North Carolina, Queen City Family Tree. And they live in Enderley Park just outside of the city of Charlotte. Just a little down the street from where they are, you can see the skyline of downtown. And this is a, a, a lower income area where there are a lot of challenges economically, socially, and the city is being gentrified and people are being displaced from their homes and they have often nowhere to go. And Greg and Helms are there to help provide stability for that community, to provide uh, an opportunity for people to learn and grow an opportunity for people to have equal housing opportunities and not to be forced out because the taxes are too high, the rents are too high, and the cost of real estate are out of this world. And let me just share a bit about what it means to be in proximity with others. The struggle is real, and it has real and sometimes dire consequences. It takes lives from families. The Charlotte City government publishes detailed demographics data every two years about every neighborhood in the city. And those figures say that in Charlotte as a whole, the average age of death is 72 years. In Enderley Park, it's 62 years, which means that on multiple fronts, poverty is killing my neighbors. They live right in the middle of all of this. There's a bus stop on their front yard. There have been deaths that have occurred by shooting at the intersection just adjacent to their home. Exposure to toxic environmental factors is higher here. The greater difficulty of accessing fresh food coupled with the relative cheapness of processed calories leads to increased risk of diabetes and heart disease. Violence takes away people too soon. This struggle costs my neighbors on average 10 years of their lives. This is a decade of loving your grandchildren, of singing and painting and cooking for your family. A decade of watching the sky explode with color during the fall. Ten opportunities to anticipate the first tomato from the garden or to light candles for visitors at Christmas. And then he says this, to see in clearer detail what opportunities are lost in those missing years or how the gift of years is made beautiful through rifts, a visit on a neighbor's porch, or the sound of children jumping into piles of leaves requires proximity. Proximity means being close enough to notice. By sticking around and paying attention, the beauty of Enderley Park begins to seize anyone with eyes to see. And I know that was a long quote, but it helps us to see the importance of proximity, of being with people, not just going somewhere on a mission and then leaving, going somewhere else and leaving. We're at Huguenot Road, a church that I believe understands proximity. We have long-term mission partnerships. I believe, Matthew, if I'm correct, this is our 10th trip to Owsley County, Kentucky, or 10th year, uh, more than that trips. And we've had a long-term relationship with the Gerald family, and then with the parks in Slovakia, 
And I can go on and on about some other mission partners. But proximity is important. That we go and that we go again and go again. You and I can learn from Jesus what it means to be in close proximity with others. Not to judge a book by its cover, but to listen to others and to learn their story and to understand where they are. Jesus was in proximity with Mary and Martha here. Jesus was also in proximity to the disciples whom He called who were formerly fishermen. And Matthew who was a tax collector. Jesus was in close proximity to crowds of people, enabling a woman who had been hemorrhaging for 12 years to touch the hem of His garment to experience healing. Jesus was in proximity, made Himself available to the woman at the well we read of in John 4. Jesus made Himself available to Zacchaeus who had climbed up in a tree just to get a glimpse of the Savior who was walking by. And I can go on and on about Jesus being in proximity to others. But we can learn from Him. Jesus' style to understand others. It also means to empathize with others. To walk in someone's shoes. To understand better what it is like to be in their situation. We may never know what it's truly like, but the more that we spend time with others, the more that we listen to their story, that we might truly understand and empathize and be able to help in the best way. Not giving as we think they should receive, but giving in a way that they need to receive. It also requires self-definition. Jesus was very self-defined. He knew who He was. He was comfortable in His own skin. He did not allow Himself to get pulled into the middle of the conversation that should have happened directly with, Mary and, with Martha and Mary. Martha could have just gone to her sister and said, Mary, I really need some help here. Would you mind... Uh, you know, excusing yourself for a little bit and coming in and giving me a hand. Rather, she went to Jesus and she said, uh, Jesus, you tell my sister to come help me. She tried to triangle Jesus. Has that ever happened to you? In your family? Has someone ever gone around about to try to get you involved in a situation to change somebody else or to get somebody else to do something? I will never forget when I was a kid, sometimes I got stuck in the middle because my parents were divorced. And I would try to mediate and get mom and dad to cooperate and all that kind of stuff. It just didn't work. right? Jesus didn't get caught up in that. He was very clear and self-defined. He knew His position and He talked directly back to Martha and didn't, there's no conversation that Luke records between him and Mary. But what we do see is that Jesus did not allow himself to get caught up in the middle. Our responsibility as Christian people is to remain engaged with the people God presents to us and to try to point those people to each other that we don't get caught up in the middle. Jesus related to Martha Jesus related to Mary, but Martha and Mary's relationship needed to stand on its own. Jesus still related to both. Jesus could help them 
relate to each other, but he wasn't going to do their talking, or in particular Martha's talking, for her. I hope that makes sense. We can learn to understand others and not get caught up in all the circumstances. And the last thing uh, is similar in that uh, Jesus had clarity of His purpose. We need to have clarity of our common purpose. That we are to be, as Paul writes, ministers of reconciliation. That as we learn people's story in proximity to them and empathize with their situation and remain self-defined, that we can be clear about our purpose as ministers of reconciliation and help people to fulfill their particular call, whether it's in the church or their part of a relationship in another venue. How can we better discern our relationships and our part of them? How can we better listen and understand to others in our circles of influence? How can we learn from Jesus in the way that He related to people and apply that to our own lives? Whom do we need to better understand? Whom do we need take time to take time and listen to and learn their story? I hope that you'll join me in praying about that this week as we seek to be ministers of reconciliation, the presence of Jesus Christ, bringing peace in this broken world. I ask that you pause and pray with me. Thank you so very much, O oh God, for this story and for the various ways that we can understand and apply it to our lives today. I pray that we would examine our hearts and not judge others by their outside appearance, but rather help us to be like you when your word says that God does not look at the outward appearance but looks at people on their heart. Help us to look at people for who they are, to be in proximity, to know their story. I think the world would be better if people were to understand this concept. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be ministers of reconciliation, being ambassadors for Christ, being the presence of Christ, so that others can see his light shining through us. In Jesus' name, amen.